back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. I have, of course... Mike M. Thory Rosansky coming to you from the Connecticut School of Broadcasting in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Hoping that all of you are having a great day on this Monday, the 16th day of January, on this Martin Luther King Day of 2023. A man that, if we celebrated each and every single day, I don't think it really should be considered a problem when you consider the impact he had on not just this country. But this world, when it comes to change and progressing forward. And, you know, the the best way we can celebrate great men like this is living our lives to the fullest, enjoying everything that we have in front of us, not taking it for granted, such as the greatness that we saw on display this past weekend in what was Super Wild Card Weekend. And, you know, when you get into the NFL postseason, you hope for some form of drama. You hope that, all right, at least half the games each weekend are good. You don't want to sit there through a blot, especially if you're, you know, if you're a fan of one of the teams, if you're a fan of the team getting your ass kicked, then you're just miserable. But if you're someone like me who doesn't have a dog in the fight, never has a dog in the fight when it comes to the postseason, you're just looking for good quality games to enjoy. But all across the board this weekend, the five games that we've got over the Super Wild Card weekend were exciting, had drama to them, took you to the very end. And it's surprising when you consider where we sat on Saturday night. Now, Saturday night, most of America is sitting there thinking, how long until I can switch off this game? How long until I can move away from this? Because Trevor Lawrence's playoff debut looked like it was going to be an outright disaster. Trevor Lawrence's postseason debut, the Jaguars... First time in the playoffs in, what, six, seven years now? Looked like it was going to be an outright mess when you consider he threw three interceptions in the first quarter. They turned the ball over five times in the first half. We're giving the Chargers nothing but great field position all throughout the first half. Because you, know, you, you look at that 27 nothing lead. It's very deceiving. It's not like all the Jaguars were driving down the field each time and and Lawrence was getting picked off in the red zone. No, a couple of these interceptions 
were in Jaguar territory. The Chargers did not have to move the football very far at all to get a, a score here. They were taking advantage of great field position uh, most of this night. And, you know, the first interception, you're not going to get on Lawrence too much because it was a uh, tip pass. But after that, he was, it seemed like he was forcing things. It seemed like he was getting uh, out of his own mental comfort zone. And you start thinking to yourself, all right, what else can I stream on TV tonight? What else is there to watch? I know I even tweeted how long till I can move on till Game of Thrones. But you started to see signs near the end of that first half that, you know, maybe we were in for something. Maybe uh, we could get a chance here. Because, look, you know, the biggest weapon, the biggest advantage that the Chargers had once they were up 27 nothing, is to just milk the clock, take the air out of the football, and run the ball a lot. And put pressure on uh, the Jaguars that every single time they have the football from here on out, it's a do or die situation. But the Chargers completely got away from the run game. Now, I know they're not much of a running football team as it is, even though Austin Egler is a very solid running back. But that final drive of the first half, they didn't run the football at all. Uh, had a drive that lasted all of about a minute before giving uh, Lawrence and company the football back. Plus, getting into halftime with the donut off the board, take getting a score there was very important for uh, Jacksonville because then Doug Peterson can look at those guys who, let's face it, that building lost its energy, became very deflated after about the first you know, 15 minutes of this game. He can look at these guys and say, hey guys, we're still in it. We still got a shot. We can do this thing. So he changed up the offense a bit. You know, started to get a little more up-tempo here. Started to uh, stop getting them in the huddles. You know, just like, all right, Get back to the line. Next play, we're we're gonna go no huddle here for uh, the uh, most of the rest of this half, and that worked. That had the Chargers uh, on their heels, and uh, from there, once it once it got to twenty seven seven at halftime, you know you started to think maybe maybe there's a shot here, especially because while the Jaguars haven't been in here in a while. The Chargers haven't been in the postseason uh, either. You have a head coach on the other side and Brandon Staley who's making his postseason debut. You have a, a quarterback on the other side in Justin Herbert who's making his postseason debut. And while he accounted himself fairly well, I don't think you, you give him too, too much of a, the blame here, although he did miss Keenan Allen with a wide open touchdown in the back of the end zone that could have put them up by 30 very early on in this. Now, Brandon Staley has coached very recklessly with this team, but the way he coached from 27 nothing on on Saturday night was very stupid, was very, you know, much saying, hey, Jaguars, we're going to let you right back in this game. We're not going to even try and win this thing here because 
you look at in the second half, they had 31 offensive plays. They ran the ball six times. And one of those six times was a scramble by Herbert to avoid the pressure that was on him. You have a missed field goal by Cameron Dicker when the Jaguars were starting to crawl back in this that gave them good field position. But what you also had was the emotional outburst of a guy that should be one of the leaders on this team, should know better by now how to react and how to act when it comes to situations in a football game and should have more awareness. And of course, I'm talking about Joey Bosa, who I'm not just talking about the offsides penalty. The penalty that, what's that, at 27-7, it looked like they had Lawrence done for it. It looked like they had knocked them off the field and were going to get the football back still up by 20. But you got to be very aware, especially in a postseason setting like that, of where you're set up, where you're lined up. The referees are looking at the line of scrimmage of, at all times. They're going to notice any little thing. So if your helmet is even the slightest bit across that line, of course they're going to call you on it. Of course they're going to say that you're offsides. And the way he acted after that, Flipping out at the official, then later on in the drive after the Jaguars touchdown by slamming his helmet to the ground twice, kind of set a bad tone, set a bad mindset for that Chargers team moving forward. Hell, I didn't even see him on the field very much for the rest of the game. Now, maybe we do know that he had a slight setback in that leg injury he had early in the season last week against Denver. Maybe this played a little bit into it. But why he was there was never any true explanation why he wasn't on the field a lot for the remainder of that game. And once Jacksonville caught momentum in this game, it, it seemed like You could see the finish coming. It was just a matter of how it was going to happen. It it was just a matter of, oh, are they going to have a a walk-off touchdown at the end? Or are they going to take the lead via field goal at the buzzer, which ended up being the ultimate key there? Although, I mean, that that kicker came very close, extremely close to uh, missing the right upright there. I was even leaning back a little bit saying, whoa, hold on there. Did he exactly uh, get that in? But between Staley not calling enough run plays, uh, Herbert missing Allen in the back of the end zone, Brandon Staley, oh, another thing here, Brandon Staley not having uh, Mike Williams available to him because he felt it was so important for him to play a non-important game against the Denver Broncos last week. And then Bosa's overreaction. See, when you have a great comeback like this, third largest comeback in the history of the NFL postseason, it also requires the other side to be incredibly stupid. And that's what you got from the 
Los Angeles Chargers. No, it's still hard for me to say that. I keep wanting to say San Diego Chargers, but that's what you got from the Chargers. That that's kind of the Chargers' history. Normally, do they do, you know, dumb things like that this in the regular season, but this was a, a new low for them. They essentially looked at the Atlanta Falcons and said, "Hey, hold my beer with how uh, bad they choked this thing." And you know what? Give Peterson, give Lawrence a lot of credit. Peterson, because he kept everybody engaged. He kept everybody aware and kept their mindset. Because, you know, when you're down by that big early on, you could start thinking about your offseason. You could start, your mind could start drifting away to a lot of places. But he kept that team locked in, kept them uh, with hunger, kept them believing. And Lawrence, now listen, Trevor Lawrence, we've seen him you know, get annihilated in national championship game against LSU, and that didn't uh, ruin his demeanor. Hell, he had one of the worst coaches in NFL history last year, you know, flat out wreck his rookie season in Urban Meyer, and that didn't destroy him. You know, he could have very easily had his confidence ruined, had to wait another year for a chance at redemption. But redemption for him came sooner than uh, he expected. Now, they're not going to be able to do this again next week because they're not playing a, a Chargers team next week that is used to choking. They're facing the former Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs a team led by quite possibly the league MVP this year in Patrick Mahomes. So you're not going to be able to you know, show up late to the party here. You're not going to be able to you know, work what would be a great comeback against that team. Andy Reid is going to have his guys prepared for everything. He's been, you know, feeding into their minds for the last two weeks now, saying, guys, we're get, we got a tough challenge coming in here, whether it's Los Angeles or now, as we know, Jacksonville. We got to be ready for everything. We've got a young athletic quarterback that can run the football, a, a team that you know had their backs to the wall and fought through adversity, and a team that, you know, maybe their inexperience can be at an advantage because sometimes when you haven't experienced something much, you don't know no better. You don't uh, fear the unknown as much as you would fear the known. So it's going to be an exciting matchup uh, on uh, Saturday afternoon. Hopefully this weekend coming up is as crazy as the weekend that we just had. I mean, you look all across, and I never. Some of these games I did not expect to be competitive, whether it be Seattle, San Francisco, Buffalo, and Miami. Oh, none of the games yesterday I thought were going to be close, but we've got five very competitive quality games uh, out of this wild card weekend, with still one coming up tonight. So we're going to get to all of them. We're going to talk about all of them. Get. Give us some thoughts on 
each one of uh, these matchups, including Giant fans. I will get to you. I know you're very excited today, as you should be, because now that was the best win you've had in almost a decade, and you're probably still running on the adrenaline high of finally seeing playoff football. So give us some thoughts on the Giants, some thoughts on Bills at Dolphins. The rest of the wild card weekend, as well as mix in some baseball, basketball as well. And see what else I can fit into this next hour here. Plenty I want to get to, and I'm glad you all could join me uh, this week. So, listen, at this time, as I always tell you, please sit back, relax, help, put your feet up on the table if there is one in front of you, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Like I said moments ago, if you are a New York Giant fan, you have to be ecstatic today. You have to be Know, jumping for joy, cartwheels, maybe that's a little eccentric. Maybe that's more of a Knicks thing to do, you know, celebrating like you won a championship off of one playoff win. But it's been a decade since the Giants won a playoff game. That, their last playoff win was the Super Bowl championship against the Patriots, the second one back in the 2011-2012 season. So it's... You know, been a very long time for this franchise, this fan base, and you've seen a lot of obnoxiousness along the way. You've seen a lot of stupidity along the way when it comes to this franchise, whether it be choices in coaching, choices at general manager with Dave Gettleman, you know, sticking with people that they are comfortable with. Well, this should be an example for Everyone, not just in the NFL, but across sports, you want to reach success. You want to reach the height of heights. Go outside your comfort zone. Go and talk to people that maybe aren't in your normal clique of who you talk to. Go, go, you know, branch out, as I'm always told um, by my family, Broaden your horizons, and sometimes you'll be surprised. Sometimes those that you thought you weren't comfortable with, that aren't in the normal sea of people you would want to work with, can reach help you reach where you ultimately want to go. Normally, the Giants wouldn't have gone out there and interviewed Joe Shion for their general manager spot or interviewed Brian Dable for their head coaching spot. Because they don't exactly have giant ties. No, Dable had a year at Alabama, and Nick Saban, we know, is close to Bill Belichick, who is the former Giants defensive coordinator. But that's a very loose tie there. Joe Chion came up through the Buffalo Bills organization. So these, these two guys knew each other the last several years. But they weren't 
under that giant umbrella, like Dave Gettleman was, or such as bringing in Pat Shermer, or Ben McAdoo being the final offensive coordinator under Tom Coughlin. There were, now that, that was a seismic change for the Giants' hierarchy, and it's worked out to glaring success here. Because, let's face it, now, and I, I've heard people say that, oh, the Giants are no longer a cute story, uh, that, that they shouldn't just be happy about making the playoffs. And while I agree with that, no, no matter how this ends, if it ends any less than winning a championship, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be heartbroken. But this team has exceeded expectations beyond belief. Most people thought they were going to be a five or six win team this year. And from the beginning, Brian Dable came in and said, to hell with that. And look what's happened. He's brought out the absolute best in Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, who a year ago we all thought was done as the giant quarterback. We all were saying, all right, how long until they replace him with Tyrod Taylor? I'm, I'm hearing from my brother and his best friend who went and watched Giants practice at training camp one day last summer. They're saying, oh, Daniel Jones looks awful. And now look at him here. He's not just Amongst the reasons, he was the leading reason why the Giants won yesterday. He was Mr. Do-It-All. He was Mr. Everything for this team. Now, not just his preciseness with his passes, but how quick he was getting the football out. The fact that even when the play wasn't designed for him to run the football, he saw the openings. He saw the chances there. Almost made Saquon Barkley look like you know, a secondary thought for this team when it came to running the football. But even with that, Barkley had a, a spectacular all-around game. And everywhere, you look at this Giants team. The defense kept Justin Jefferson under control. Outside of that initial touchdown that wasn't, he was a non-factor. He did nothing in this game. You, you know, you kept Kirk Cousins to locking in on TJ Hawkinson as his number one option throughout the game. And that turned to his detriment late in this game when you get that big stop on fourth down. And I'm still wondering, how the hell was that play set up to end before the sticks? I mean, that really made no sense whatsoever. But you had heroes all across the field for the Giants. I think of Isaiah Hodgins, he he wasn't even on anyone's radar. He wasn't on anyone's thought before th- this season. They essentially brought him and Richie James in off the streets. And these guys have turned into very quality weapons uh, for Daniel Jones going forward. Now, they were able to slow down Dalvin Cook, although you could argue uh, that the Vikings themselves slowed down uh, Dalvin Cook because I don't get why he only ran the football 15 times in this game. It it wasn't like the game got out of hand in either direction uh, at any point. The the largest lead there was at any point was 10. So I'm, I'm not sure why they got away from Dalvin Cook so quickly, but... No, 
like I said, Daniel Jones was very precise in his decision-making. And it helps when your offensive line that at times has been highly criticized was able to um, protect you for the most part in this game. And, you know, the Giants, they kept this game at their pace. They kept this game on their schedule uh, for uh, most of it. And it got the Vikings out of a rhythm. It got the Vikings away from running the football. It got them to just, you know, most of the time selling for checkdowns to the tight end. And even when there were moments where you thought, oh, maybe it, it could get away from uh, the Giants, they kept on reeling. You know, the initial drive where the Vikings drive down uh, on a 12-play drive and score a touchdown, the Giants answered immediately with a touchdown drive of their own. Then you get late in the game, Slayton on that third down where it could have iced the game, not even allowed the Vikings one more shot. He drops the ball, but still the defense picked up for the Giants. Now, even though there was that ridiculous roughing the passer penalty against Dexter Lawrence, which I still don't quite understand how that was a penalty, now, the, yesterday, all the way around, was a great day, was a great moment was for the Giants and their fans. And listen, now you go into next week against the Eagles, and I, I don't want to say that it's a free pass, it's a free game, because... Like I said, if this year ends in anything but a Super Bowl championship, uh, a Super Bowl championship that would be very surprising, I think even more so than the 07 or 2011 teams, ends in anything less than that, you're going to be disappointed because the fan base has fallen in love with this team. The fan base loves everything about what they've seen from this team this year. But you're going to be able to walk away from this season no matter how, how it ends at some point while disappointed if there's no championship with your health held high and proud and excited about what's to come. And listen, Daniel Jones has more than earned a contract, not just on what he did yesterday, but what he's done this year. Because, you know, I'll ask this question. I asked it to my brother's best friend last night. What are you going to do if you don't let him get the contract that he's desiring in his pending free agency? What are you going to do if you don't re-sign him? You're going to really look in the draft for options? I mean, please, outside of the top two guys, there's really nothing in the, this year's draft. And it's going to cost as much to re-sign uh, Daniel Jones, as it would to say, go sign Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's going to cost more probably to sign Derek Carr. So your best bet is sticking with the quarterback you have and going out there and finding him that number one wide receiver that you can continue to build around this kid and move forward with. Now, on the other side of the NFC bracket, let's face it, while the 49ers blew out the Seahawks, this was more competitive than the scoreboard shows. There were some tense moments out there in Santa Clara for uh, the 49ers fans. Because, 
Now, after they got off to an early lead, they started doing some stupid things. They started you know, you know, getting out of what ha- has led them to a 10-game winning streak coming into this game. Whether it be you know, leaving DK Metcalf wide open uh, on a third down for him to uh, go 50 yards down the field, take the lead. Or even worse... You know, it's late in the first half. The Seahawks are trying to make something happen here. You've got nothing going on downfield, and Geno takes off with the football. As he's in mid-slide, Jimmy Ward drills him for the unnecessary roughness penalty, giving him 15 yards and allowing uh, the Seahawks to go into halftime with the lead thanks to a field goal by uh, Jason Myers. You're looking at the Niners and saying, this is not the team that we've seen the last two and a half months. This is not the team that since the arrival of Christian McCaffrey, we've been saying, oh, they're the best shot of knocking off the Eagles and being the NFC's representation in the Super Bowl. Well, third quarter comes around and the 49ers finally decided to start playing 49ers football. Now, whether it be Purdy and his aggressiveness as well as uh, high football IQ to know when to run with the football and stay within himself as well, leading them on a, a long drive coming out of half to retake the lead. Or immediately after that, you get the strip sack against Geno and look at it. While one Bosa later that night is losing his mind, His younger brother, Nick, is staying within himself, staying locked in and showing why he's amongst the most dominant pass rushers in this sport. And once they got the lead here, it seemed like it was just an avalanche against the Seattle Seahawks. They were unable to stop the freight train that is the San Francisco 49ers, the dagger being that 75-yard touchdown run by Debo Samuel. And, you know, much like the Giants, there was nothing expected from the Seahawks this year. You weren't looking at them and saying, oh, they were a potential playoff contender. They get off to the hot start, but then start to fizzle uh, down the stretch, and it, it took them wins against a Jet team that didn't show up in week 17 and a Rams team that really had nothing to play for but pushed you guys to overtime for them to back into the playoffs along with some help with the Detroit Lions as well. But if you're Seattle, while you're disappointed, you can walk away from this season excited for what's to come. Excited for what you have ahead of you because remember for the first time in years we have a team that made the playoffs but is going to have a top five pick in the NFL draft thanks to the Russell Wilson trade a trade that's been a disaster for the Denver Broncos but on paper looks like it can be a continued building block for this Seahawks team and listen they've got pieces here that you love, that you can build around, especially at wide receiver with Metcalf and Lockett. It's about whether they feel Geno is the guy to go forward with or there's another quarterback that 
captures their attention, whether it be in the draft or through free agency. And whether they uh, can continue to protect that quarterback and that they have a, a strong defense going forward. Like, this year will cloud up the fact that the Seahawks have a lot of building to do still, but they have the pieces to do that with. They have the draft capital to start to get good very quickly. You know, better than the 9-8 and eight they went this year. So I don't look at this as... Oh, just a team that was lucky to make it into the postseason. This is this can be the beginning of something really good in Seattle if John Schneider uses those draft picks in the correct way. Now, yesterday, uh, uh, I don't really know what to say about this this Bills Dolphins game other than the Bills were lucky to get out alive because. Quite frankly, they should have slammed the door on the Dolphins very early on. They should have uh, said, all right, go back to South Beach. You were a cute story making it here with your third-string quarterback, but you're not winning today, not on this field, not with the emotional momentum that we've built in the last couple of weeks. But you saw recklessness at times from Josh Allen yesterday. Something that we keep thinking that we're getting away from, but it keeps glaring its ugly head. As as great as he is, he has these moments where you sit there and you say, what the hell are you thinking, Josh? You can't make that throw there. You can't make that play there. And these interceptions uh, that he, he threw... Now, the first one, John Brown ran the wrong route there. But on the the second one, it feels like he threw a right to Javon Holland. He's aiming for Beasley along the sidelines there. But you got to realize, you've got a minute to go before halftime. You're up by eight there. Protect the football. Don't give the Dolphins a chance at life before halftime. And... No, that's what he did. Allowed them a chance to tie the game right before we uh, went to halftime. And listen, I know they they had the field goal uh, there uh, before halftime, but the Dolphins came out of half feeling like, all right, we're in this game. We're alive. Even as bad as uh, Skylar Thompson looked in this first half, looked throughout this game, in fact, because – Let's face it, they were not moving the football very well. They were just taking advantage of field position on the turnovers by the Bills. Even uh, got a a touchdown off of a uh, strip sack against Allen. But the the Dolphins, they were not able to run the football uh, very well. Even when it seemed like they had momentum on their side after that go-ahead touchdown, Thompson throws a bad interception there to Elam in Dolphins territory that kind of you know, got the Bills back on track, got them back after you know, seemingly stunning that crowd, stunning anyone at home watching this game. The Bills were able to get back on track with uh, that uh, interception and take advantage of not just inexperience when it came to the quarterback, because 
Thompson felt like he was rushed all game long, but the inexperience of the head coach there with the fact that he just, he was reckless and careless with his usage of timeouts, especially in the second half. So much so that you know, late in this game, when they badly needed a, a timeout, they didn't have one available to them on that delay a game penalty where, no, who knows? Maybe he was fed bad information uh, either by the referees or by his coaches upstairs telling him that it was a first down on the previous play. But they acted like they had all the time in the world there. And instead of taking a chance on fourth and one, they had to go for it on a fourth and six and were essentially dead from there because with two and a half minutes left, no timeouts. They were not able to stop the clock other than the two-minute warning, and the Bills were able to survive. That's the best thing you could say uh, about the Bills yesterday, is that they survived the game. It was a messy game. It wasn't no overly flattering uh, win, but if you're a Bills fan, you take it and you move on and you you gear up for facing the Bengals uh, this coming week and realize that you can't make those same kind of mistakes. You, you can't make mistakes thinking that, oh, you're going to have a, a wide receiver on the other side like Jalen Waddle did, drop three passes in uh, coverage uh, throughout this game. Or you're not going to be going up against a Neil fight in quarterback. You're going up against a team in the Bengals that is the defending AFC champions. You're going up against a team in the Bengals that probably thinks they got robbed of home field advantage throughout this postseason due to circumstances beyond anybody's control. So they're going to be highly motivated coming into Orchard Park next week. And you're not going to be able to do, do the same things, especially uh, the mistakes Allen was making throughout the second quarter and third quarter in this game, if you hope to get by the Bengals uh, next weekend. All right, going to take another break here, come back on the other side and turn my attention to you know, some other things that went on this week because there was more than just Super Wild Card Weekend that went on that I want to touch upon, you know, kind of a mixed bag segment coming up here. So continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. I mentioned before that on Saturday with the near disaster it looked like for the Jaguars early on that even yours truly was putting out there on social media wondering, oh, when can I move off this game? When would it be safe for me to move off of Jaguars versus Chargers? Well, we didn't have to wait too long last Monday to move off of the college football national championship game because that was 
a human eye sword watch after about oh, the first 20 minutes of this game. It turned from hoping that Cinderella could just be competitive into feeling like you were watching a damn video game, feeling like TCU wasted all of our times this past year because that was as big a beating, as big of a football onslaught, a football manslaughter, if you want to call it, that we've ever seen. And listen, it's very easy to say that in college football where defense at times can be a complete joke. But Stenson Benton and company, you, you might as well have handed them the trophy before this game with how after 10-7, after TCU uh, gets the one touchdown, Georgia looked like they were on the field by themselves. Georgia was never threatened. Georgia was never challenged. And Georgia looked like they were out there to prove some kind of point and send a message to not just TCU, not just all of the programs within the SEC, but all of the programs throughout college football saying, in their minds, the Nick Saban era is over. It is now the Georgia era. We now run college football. Our second consecutive national championship, and we dominated uh, TCU worse than anybody's ever dominated another team in a big game environment in college football history. And almost almost as if Kirby Smart was looking up to one of the broadcast booths the entire game at uh, the uh, Nick Saban, his mentor, and saying to him, it's my time now. Let me show you what I can do. Because he didn't let his foot off the gas until the start of the fourth quarter. He kept Stetson Bennett in there until it was, what, 52-7? And even after that, they they put two more touchdowns on the board. The only thing that went, went against them was their kicker mix, missing an extra point late in this game. Now, Nick Saban has dominated this sport for over 20 years, and it's going to take more than two back-to-back championships to knock, completely knock the king off his throne. But with how they can recruit, with the NIL deals, with the transfer portal, Georgia's going to be around. This is not the end of a story here. Yes, Stenson Bennett is leaving. Yes, just like last year, they're going to have some pieces leaving this program, moving on to the NFL. But with the way Kirby Smart coaches, with the way he recruits, they're going to be around for a while here, people. This is just the beginning of a team that year in, year out, is always going to be a threat to win a national championship. And, you no. Know, you wonder what kind of dent in the armor this does to TCU. I mean, you have a unexpected season like this. Most people predicting you'd finish seventh in your conference. You get all the way to the national championship game. And then 
just fall flat on your face like that, look like you don't even belong on the field, look like you're playing two different sports, does that in any way deter the goodwill and the good faith that people had started to have in TCU? We'll we'll see how that does for them going forward uh, with not just the players that will remain at that program, but players that may have been considering them as high school recruits or transfers in the portal in the years to come. Another one of our national nightmares in the sports world finally reached a conclusion this past week, and that was, of course, the contract negotiations of Carlos Correa. Finally, third time was a charm, and he signed on with the Minnesota Twins the Minnesota Twins, excuse me, the team that he had played for this past season. Now, only took him losing three contracts of over, or two contracts, excuse me, of over $300 million for him and Scott Boris to uh, finally uh, get a deal done. And listen, I said this last week, I'll say this again, Met fans while you're disappointed that you didn't get that star pace that could have put you over the top, let's not act like you were in a bad situation. Yeah, you didn't get Correa. It would have been nice to have him there as your third baseman. But you still have a young prospect that everybody's excited about in uh, Beatty to play third base. You still have a team that by a large part, is the same team that won 101 games last year and up until the final week of the season was leading the National League East. A team that people look at and say, as long as they keep their rotation healthy, can get to the World Series. Now, you do have some things that can work against you with that, with the fact that Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander did not get any younger this off season. You're bringing in a pitcher in Senga who, while everyone speaks highly of, was a champion in Japan. It remains to be seen how he is able to adjust to pitching on the Major League Baseball once every five days schedule rather than pitching once a week. And you've got a manager in Buck Showalter who's got to prove that He's not going to just completely fall apart, not just going to uh, be small in the big games. Can show that he's capable of doing what Dusty Baker is doing and did this past year and get to a World Series. Now, people speak so highly of Buck Showalter, but let's face it, every year it feels like the, the media moves back the goalpost and changes uh, the narrative when it comes to Buck. When in reality, while he's had really good regular seasons, he's not got it done where it counts. He's choked time after time after time. And most of these organizations that he's managed have been able to get there after he was the manager. So he does have something that he's got to overcome here. But like I said, 
Disappointing not getting Correa if you're a Mets fan. But let the Twins make that potential mistake where they're looking at him at 34. There's arthritis in that in that ankle. And you, you're saying to yourself, damn, we're glad that we weren't the ones to make that $200 million in investment because he's no longer the great player that he once was. And speaking of investments, what the hell are the Boston Red Sox doing? I mean, the Red Sox let a solid, consistent shortstop walk out the door, not even make an offer to him, in Xander Bogarts. And now they've got a mess on their hands when it comes to the Trevor Story situation. I mean, you look at this, they gave Trevor Story six years for $140 million last offseason after the lockout. I think he was the last of the so-called big free agents to sign a contract. And now, you may not have this guy until July at the earliest, because he just had surgery on his... UCL in his elbow had an internal brace in there, kind of surgery that uh, kind of, you know, is similar to Tommy John surgery, but will shorten the recovery time. And now you may not have this guy for the at least the first half of the season. Who knows if he has any setbacks, may not have him at all. You knew that this guy had elbow problems coming from Colorado. You knew that uh, people questioned his arm strength due to that. And you still gave him $140 million. And why wasn't this surgery done back at the end of September? You know, when you guys were out of it, when you were eliminated from postseason contention, was this something that happened during off-season workouts? They have been very vague with how they've described this, but... Let's face it, the Red Sox have been a confusing organization to figure out for a while now. You have a big market club that is now acting like a small market team with the fact that they let Bogarts uh, leave without even trying to re-sign him. They let Nathan Avaldi, who was a very solid starting pitcher, go to the Texas Rangers, didn't even try to match the contract that he got. They went bargain bin shopping and signed Justin Turner for two years at $20 million. And then they almost had to be guilted by their fan base into this contract extension for Rafael Devers. Otherwise, he was going to walk out the door as well. Who knows? Even though you don't take $300 million for granted, he might be looking around wondering, what the hell did I just lock myself into for the next 11 years? Especially when you look at this team, whose payroll last year was around $210 million at the start of the season, and now it's at a projected, for this year, $163 million. Like I said a couple weeks ago, people, this is not your father's Boston Red Sox team. It is a very different organization. And if you're a Yankee fan, you may complain that the Steinburners are are being cheap? No, they spend money. They just don't spend it the right way. But at least they're trying to fix solutions. At least they're trying to uh, field a competitive team. I'm not sure what 
the Boston Red Sox are tr currently trying to field. And, and speaking of trying to field something or trying to you know, put something on the court, you know, the Brooklyn Nets have got to be very, very careful with what's going on there, the situation that they're dealing with right now. Because they say he who forgets history is doomed to repeat it. It was around this same time last year where Kevin Durant went down with an MCL sprain and he missed six weeks of the season. And during that stretch, the Brooklyn Nets went from being the two seed in the Eastern Conference to being a team that had to fight for just being a play-in team for the postseason. I think they finished as the seventh seed. Well, now you've lost Kevin Durant again for a month due to a uh, MCL sprain in his right knee. And it's a little bit different of a situation here now because last year, Kyrie Irving was only able to play in road games until March. You also had all of the James Harden nonsense where he was trying to force his way out. And you had other injuries on this team. Remember, you didn't have Joe Harris. You were lacking depth at the center position. Well, this year you have Kyrie Irving healthy. You have the depth on this team. You just you know that you still got to manage this Ben Simmons thing seemingly on a daily basis, and you you are are still lacking some size at center. You now that they, they built themselves somewhat of a comfortable cushion here by winning eighteen of twenty before uh, the KD injury, but they can't let this get away from them now. You know they've lost back to back games, including last night to uh, the Thunder, who are you know, kind of a team that is just trying to build around Shea Gilders Alexander and are hoping that they're in position to get lucky to uh, draft that, that big kid from uh, France uh, this coming offseason. But they've now lost back-to-back -back games since KD uh, injury was diagnosed. And you've got a five-game road trip coming up here where you start by going out west starting tomorrow night against uh, the San Antonio Spurs. Got to be careful here. This, Even though this isn't you know, the, the most daunting game coming up, you do have four tough games coming up right behind them with the Suns, Jazz, Warriors, and Sixers along this road trip. At bare minimum, you would like three, but you at least got to win two games here. You, can, you can't go one and four or, heaven forbid, go 0 oh and five here as you, you know, wait for Kevin Durant to come back because there's no guarantees that he's going to be back in a month. We were saying the same thing last year, and it took him six weeks to get back. So that's got to be very cautious. You had the blueprint of how to handle life without KD last year. But you're in a better situation uh, this time around with a better coach, a deeper team. You cannot let the Kevin Durant injury completely derail what you've built up until now and have you struggling to get into the postseason.
remember from your mistakes of last year. Going to take one last break, but come back on the other side and finish things up with some thoughts on Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Now, sometimes you got to have the ability in life to laugh at yourself, make fun of yourself. I was just looking at the live stream on Facebook and seeing the title for this because I use the whole create events thing when posting it to let people know that I'm going live with the podcast. The create events shows the date listed as January 16th, 2022. Oops, my bad. Now, was in a bit of a rush to get this started today, but I'll hopefully get that edited in uh, the uh, final edits once I get done with uh, the live stream here. Now, I couldn't talk about the, the Nets without, of course, giving some credit to the New York Knicks, who have now won seven of their last eight games, are on a three-game winning streak. And although the three games are not against the most dull daunting of opponents in the world in the Pacers, Wizards, and Pistons. You know, they went through that little stretch there where you were thinking, oh, the Knicks are starting to fall apart. But have gotten back on the horse here, have had some uh, good wins along the way here to get themselves back out of the playing game position and are sixth in the East right now. Now, everything... Outside of Boston at the top, everything's so clogged up that one good week could jump you up and one bad week can push you back down. But the Knicks, got to give them credit. They're playing well. Had a nice win over the Pistons yesterday, a franchise that they've dominated, winning 11 straight against them. My big concern with the Knicks, it's a concern that I've had uh, for a while now, is Tibbs with his rotations here. Because, you know, you look at it last week, they had a 25-point lead against the Pacers and were scratching and clawing at the end to just survive. They were leading by 25 with uh, about a couple minutes ago in the third. And then with less than five minutes ago in the fourth, they're only up by two because Buddy Heel went nuts from behind three. And a lot of this, I think, is because... These Nick players, even though most of them are really young players, they're getting exhausted. They're getting worn out by tips. Going with these nine-guy rotations that don't even feel like nine guys when you consider, take that game for example. They played nine guys, but only three of them in Topham, uh, Hardenstein, and McBride played less than 10 minutes. That meant the you had... Six guys playing at least 25 minutes, yet all of their starters play 30-plus, including R.J. Barrett, who had just come back from missing uh, several games due to an injury. My big concern with this Knicks team is that we're going to get to, you know, March, 
and they're going to be exhausted. They're going to be worn out. They're going to be scratching and clawing just to make the play-in game. And, you know, Tibbs has got to mix things up. He cannot go just nine guys each and every single night. And it, it, even if you're going to do that, pull back every once in a while on some of the minutes with Brunson, Barrett, and Randall. You can't have them go 40 minutes each and every single night while you got three guys playing playing nine minutes. You've got to be able to ask some of these bench guys to step up and be you know, respectable contributors for the better good of long-term goals. Now, I don't know whether this is true or not, or he's playing games with us, but Aaron Donald seemingly had people up in roar whether he was going to be retiring over this weekend because he changed his uh, description on his Twitter account to former NFL defensive lineman for the Rams. And in the 24 hours since that started to make headlines, since that got noticed by places like ESPN and CBS Sports, he has since changed it back to NFL defensive lineman for the Rams. So I don't want to comment on something before it's official there, but remember, he was thinking about it last offseason season. And quite frankly, I wouldn't blame him if he decided to walk away on his own terms. I mean, he's in his early 30s, but he's made a lot of money. He's set his family up for a phenomenal future, and there's really nothing else he's got to earn or achieve. He's been all pro almost every year of his career, is a multi-time defensive player of the year. He got his Super Bowl ring last year. He's made his money, as I said, if he wants to walk away at the height of heights while he's still got his good health intact, all power to him. Now, one person that is not going to be looking to walk away anytime soon because he has not made that big payday yet, or at least by NFL standards. I mean, his rookie contract has set him up pretty good in the future, but he wants that contract that will set up even his grandchildren great for their lifetime is Lamar Jackson. And yesterday the Ravens season came to an end falling just short to Cincinnati 24-17 where I give them a lot of credit. Even with running out there a backup quarterback, the Ravens franchise represented themselves very well well showed why they are so well run from coaching staff uh, to front office to ownership. They you know, just ran out of gas with uh, Tyler Hundley, had one moment go against them and showed that you know, with their backs against the wall that Tyler Huntley was a good quarterback, a representable quarterback, is not that guy that you want leading you down the field in the late crucial moments. I mean, you have that the wackiness of where it looked like he was going to go in for the go-ahead touchdown, and as he's heading toward uh, the end zone, leaping in, the ball gets knocked out of his hands at the one-yard line for Sam Hubbard to 
take it the other way for the longest fumble recovery touchdown in postseason history. And you know, they had their chances late, but came up short. I, I don't know what John Harbaugh and, and company were thinking in the final couple of minutes of this game. They had two timeouts, and they're continuously letting 30 seconds run off the clock. That took the ground game away from them. That took the ground game out of being an option for them in the, the final minutes. And even then, Tyler Hundley had a, a desperation heave to the end zone that two receivers had a chance at getting. Two receivers had a chance at catching it. it first, it tips off of uh, Demarcus Robinson's hands. And then you look, James uh, Proche, uh, the second, is standing right there. And it fell about a foot away from his hands. And now the Bengals are moving on to play the Bills in the division round next week where they've got some questions to answer of their own with all the injuries they have on the offensive line. But now we begin what's going to be you know, a three- to four-month saga of the future of Lamar Jackson because the Ravens aren't just going to let him walk away. They're going to place the franchise tag on him. And it's just a matter of whether they can come to terms on a contract extension or they decide to trade him for an incredible haul and get back, uh, what, at least three or four first-round draft picks and potentially uh, rebuild this organization around another quarterback if there's someone that meets their eye here. But what I really can't stand in the last couple of days is all the questioning there's been surrounding Lamar Jackson. Whether it be, you know, J.K. Dobbins after the game saying, oh, Lamar would have won us this game. We would have won if we had him out there to you know, questioning the circumstances around his injury. Sammy Watkins doing the same thing through the media and on social media. You have Mike Vick go out there and say, oh, put a brace on it and go out there for your team. Only Lamar Jackson knows how his body is truly feeling, how his body is truly reacting. I'm never going to question a, a guy who is saying, oh, I'm not completely right. I'm not the best option for this team. I'm going to hinder my team's chances of this. It, it's very convenient for people to just throw out there how, oh, he's got his contract coming up and he's trying to protect himself. To that, I say so Freaking what? So what? If if there, he may only get one chance to make this kind of deal, get this kind of money. As we know in the NFL, it, it, it doesn't stand for National Football League. It stands for not for long. And you know, the, I thought the smartest person in the last couple of days, or the most common sense person outside of RG3's comments, were a Marlon Humphreys who sent trying to get people off of Lamar's back saying, hey, I've seen him at the facility. I've seen him limping around. That man ain't right right now. And then 
RG3, who we've very commonly compared these two because they have similar playing styles. They were both running quarterbacks um, built similarly who people thought were going to be wide receivers in the NFL. But you know, once they got their chance at, at quarterback, have dazzled and amazed us, or in at least the case of Lamar dazzled and amazed us continuously. RG3 burst upon the scene, and after that rookie year was a non-factor. His career was destroyed, and he never recovered after, ironically, a knee injury against the Baltimore Ravens, where he got spun around like a top, and four weeks later decides to put on a brace, try to go out there and gut it out for a wildcard playoff game against the Seahawks, and has that ugly-looking um, um, tear to his right knee, and he was never the same after that. He never got the big-time contract that Lamar Jackson is trying to get right now. So it, it, it's really it's made me sick to my stomach how people have continued to question him, how people have continued to question his toughness, question his commitment to his team. It, I truly believe if he could have been, he would have been out there for the, his teammates. But his body is telling him no. And after the last couple of weeks, after what we've witnessed across the sports world the last couple of weeks, shouldn't we have learned by now to stop questioning when athletes are injured? Stop questioning what's in someone's heart. Stop questioning what someone is capable of doing. Just a little food for thought there. But I am very excited for this coming week's slate of games. I mean, no matter what happens tonight between the Cowboys and the Buccaneers, it should be a fun week in division weekend. It usually is. Going to get started with Jaguars Chiefs on Saturday afternoon before you have Giants-Eagles in Philadelphia. Then on Sunday, the Bengals and the Bills in Orchard Park before the winner of tonight's game moves on to play the 49ers. And now Cowboys better get it done. Better get it done tonight because I'm not going to forget about this next week and just act like however your season ends, if you are to lose to the Bucks tonight or fall to the 49ers next Sunday, if you're so lucky to get there, not going to just act like however your season potentially ends didn't happen. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, January 16th, 2023. I hope you all have a great week. Hope you all stay safe, happy, healthy, enjoy whatever you may be doing tonight and throughout the remainder of this week. Like I always say, enjoy this thing called life, people. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next Monday. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, and I don't want to smell you. Now leave.
I'll be back.